All right, so we are we're finishing up our relationship series today. Um, like like Daniel said earlier, we went through faith, hope, and love, <clears throat> and today's uh, Valentine's Day, and we're finishing it up. So um, I'm one of the pastors here. My name is Mike. If you're new with us this morning, uh, when you came in, you received a blue and white connection card in your program. So you can just fill that out. You can put your name, your phone number, your email address. Um, whatever you want on there for us to contact you, and then we'll send you an email or text or, or whatever and take you out to coffee or lunch. Just get to know you better. Um, and then you can slip that in the offering bag as it goes by later. But if you, uh, if Trinity Life is your home church as well and you want to give us a prayer request on that card, feel free to do that as well. Give us an update, something like that. You can use that card for whatever you want this morning. So, um, a couple things before we get started. Uh, I have to mention this because everyone keeps on asking. I have not fully grieved the Panthers' loss on Sunday. <laughs> um, yeah, so stop asking. No, I'm just kidding. No, um, yeah, Panthers lost. Everybody knows that. Um, and there's always next year, right? And I'm still going to keep on doing this. So that's for my, my Panther, Panther Nation out there. A um, little dab for you guys. Um, the other thing, today is Valentine's Day. Today's V-Day. Um, when I was, uh, I don't know how you guys feel about Valentine's Day. Um, there's mixed feelings about it. People, some people hate it, some people love it. Um, when, I was, when I was single, before I was married, I used to hate Valentine's Day. And now that I'm married, I still hate Valentine's Day. So... Um, it's not a holiday, actually. This is just personal preference. It's not a holiday we celebrate. Um, Missy and I woke up this morning. We kind of were on our way to church, and she was. we kind of looked at each other coming up the steps here, and we were like, Happy Valentine's Day, and then we started laughing. Um, and that's, that's it for us. We, the day we met was actually February 15th. So the, I told you guys last week, I walked into room and saw Missy the first time. So the day I actually saw her was February 15th. That's the day we went out, that's the day our relationship started. And so that's actually a more important day for us uh, than Valentine's Day. Um, and like Gable pointed out this week, everything's on sale on February 15th. So if I need to get her something, that's, that's when I can do it. Um, so today is Valentine's Day. We're not going to like deny it. We're just going to say it is uh, Valentine's Day. Um, There's actually a pretty uh, awesome historical significance to Valentine's Day. So if you want to, uh, look that up later. Um, Saint Valentine um, was a Christian martyr. And so um, it has has some Christian Christian roots. We've totally secularized it and culturalized it. And so, and marketed it. So um, today, though, we're going to talk about love. <clears throat> we're going to talk about what the Bible means when it, when it talks about love. And um, yeah, we're just going to see where this passage leads us. So uh, for the sermon to start out, I just want to give you the bottom line of the sermon. Okay, I want to give you the bottom line. This will be the, the theme throughout the whole talk. It will be up on the screen here. Bottom line is this. If you don't receive love, you won't be able to give love. <clears throat> we can only give what we've received, okay? So this will come up throughout the whole sermon. Memorize it. If you don't remember anything else from today, remember this. If you don't receive love, you won't be able to give love, okay? So what is love? 
Love, um, we, we throw that word around today. We say, I love cheeseburgers, or I love puppies, or I love my job, or I love um, my significant other, or I love my children, um, or I love my mom, or I love my dad, or I love my husband, my wife, okay? But when you say that, we're using one word, but does that word mean the same thing in every instance? You don't really love puppies the same way you love your spouse, hopefully. You don't love your, your mom the same way you love your children. You don't love your job the same way you love cookies, uh, right? So <clears throat> what, is, what does that mean when we use that word? We throw it around so much. Um, even a guy like Tony Robbins, you guys know who he is? He's a motivational speaker, very like, like perfect grin. Looks like he has dentures. Tony, even Tony Robbins recognizes there's four different types of love. I saw him talking about it on, on Oprah's show. I don't watch it. It was just like a, I was walking by a store or something. I don't know. <laughs> um, but uh, I saw a clip of it on YouTube. Even he recognizes that. Even, um, uh, you know, our society recognizes there's different types of love. Different, um, if you guys are familiar with Soul Pancake, they have a, a video on this as well. Like, there's four different types of love. Um, so that's, that's the same thing. So when we're talking about love this morning, there's a whole background to what love is. And in the Greek, which the New Testament is written in Greek, there's four different words for love. And we're just going to walk through them this morning <clears throat> before we get started. The first is storge. So storge is a basic, familial, natural type of love. It's the type of love you have because you're born into that family. That's the best way to describe it. I was born into my family, and I just love my parents because they're my parents. It's just natural. Okay? This word is actually only used in the Bible a couple of times, and it's used in the negative form always. So it's always used in the negative form, meaning it's always used in like uh, when the Bible is talking about end times or when the Bible is talking about um, like human degradation. It says things like <clears throat> the love isn't there anymore, basically. A uh, would be called astorgos. The A kind of negates it. So it would be used in those terms saying, man, you guys don't even have in the end times you'll see this, one of the signs is, you don't even have basic familial natural love. You even hate your family, okay? Um, so it's only used like that in the Bible. Um, the next is uh, eros. This is the, it's the emotion of love, it's the pleasure of love, and when I say pleasure, I'm talking about general pleasure. Um, this word is actually never used in the Bible. Never. This word isn't in the Bible. Um, and so... Now, if you read the book of Song of Solomon, there's, there's a lot uh, of Eros-based type love in, this, in the book of Song of Solomon, but this actual word is never used in the Bible. Um, <clears throat> Eros is uh, more of a, it's a lesser form of love. That's the best way to put it. It's more of a selfish form of love. And so um, we've kind of hijacked Eros, you know, because... Just think about what words come from it. We, we think about erotic and things like that. Um, and we've equated it in our culture with, with, uh, sex. Now, we don't want to equate, like, eros and sex are not synonymous. Sex is a part of eros, but they're not, 
they're not the same thing. And so this is what we've hijacked in our culture. This is what love is to a lot of us today. This is what love is to, to our society today. It's this emotional-based love. It's something that um, we feel here, you know, or here. You know, you get butterflies or, you know, it's, it's something that, that we feel. And we've, we've reduced love to this, this kind of emotional-driven feeling thing. This is Valentine's Day, Eros. Eros is Valentine's Day. It's the feelings you get when you don't receive it, when you don't receive a Valentine, it's the feelings you get when you do receive a Valentine's Day card. Um, eros. So let's talk about sex for a second. Sex is, um, so I want to talk about two things with sex. Um, we haven't really hit sex too much in this series, so just a couple notes on it. Uh, for you singles out there, um, especially if you're a Christian single where you have committed yourself on some level to some sort of purity or, you know, waiting till you're married, something like that. Um, <clears throat> if you've done that, you tend to view sex as like this ultimate thing in marriage. Like when I get married, that's why Christian people get married young, because they got to do it. Like, it, you know, it's, it's got to happen. Um, and we can't do it until we get married. So I know that I want to have sex with you. You know you want to have sex with me. Let's get married. That's the wrong reason to get married, by the way. And so, but for Christians, that, that mentality happens a lot because you've committed yourself to some level of purity. The problem is we're stuck in a society where sex is a commodity. And, and where sex is not just a commodity, it's been reduced to a transaction. And so um, if a guy buys dinner... The expectation now in dating is, well, you got to do your part. You know, you give this, she gives that, she gives this, you give that. So sex has even been reduced to a transactional basis. Um, but going back to Christians, with, with Christians, let me tell you guys this. You single Christians out there, sex is not marriage. You know where sex lies in marriage? Like, way down here, okay? And that's not, that's not because I have a horrible sex life. <laughs> sex is, like, totally not consequential. Like, it's down here. Now, let me tell you this. Sex is awesome. Sex is great. Like, it's a gift from God. And it's so beautiful when it's done in marriage, in a covenant marriage that you've made before God. It's a beautiful thing. But... There's so many other things that come before that in a relationship. Eros is a very, very simplistic form of love. And for you singles out there who are Christian or non-Christian, that's why you do not need to test drive the car before you buy it. Do you guys get that metaphor? Didn't explain that? Okay. Some of you guys are like, I think I get it. But you don't need to find out if you're sexually compatible because sex isn't based on physical chemistry, okay? Your sex life in marriage is based on way more than physical chemistry. It's based on, uh, yeah, I'm not going to go into all this, but if you do want to do premarital counseling with me, I'll, I'll tell you about this. <laughs> but it's not based on physical chemistry. It's, there's so much more um, that fuels your sex life. 
Okay, so that's why, as a single, if sex is transactional for you, if it's a commodity for you, that's why it always leaves you empty. That's why it always leaves you wanting. That's why it never fulfills. That's why after a couple minutes of pleasure, it's gone, and you're looking for something more. So, <clears throat> eros. Next form, this is the higher form of love. This is philia, the friendship of love. Philadelphia, you know, brother, cilia, brotherly love. This is where we get this, uh, get that, that term from. Um, this is like the halfway point for love. Okay. This is like where you're just at 50-50 because this is kind of like a give and take type love. Um, it's, it's higher than eros. It's, it's just this higher form of love. But it's, it's a kind of love that is, we're friends because, not because you give me money and I give you money, but because we actually benefit from each other's relationship, right? Like, you're friends with me because I make you laugh. I'm friends with you because um, you watch sport. We watch sports together. I don't know. Something like that. So this is, this is kind of like a 50-50 type love. If you notice about these three types of love, they don't... They don't really, they're not really satisfactory, right? Even philia will, will um, fall short. <clears throat> the last type of love is what's called agape. <clears throat> this is selfless, divine, fully devoted love that doesn't need anything in return. This is the type of love that only God can give. Okay? Now there's hope for us, though. Because 1 John 4.19 says that he loved us first so that we would know how to love. Uh, Adam said this verse uh, during the worship set. Um, so he teaches us this type of love. But remember, we only give it because God's given it to us. Okay? And in that verse, the word for love in, the, in that verse where he says, I've loved you first, is this word agape. It's not eros, it's not philia, it's not storge, it's agape. He says, I've loved you with this selfless, devoted, fully devoted type of love, and that teaches you how to love others. Okay, so all that's the background to today. Um, so let's jump into the passage. <clears throat> the passage this morning uh, Cindy read it as a, as out of John 12. This is right before Jesus, in a week, Jesus will be dead. In a week, Jesus will be dead. He'll have been on the cross and he'll be in the tomb. And this is right after Jesus has raised somebody from the dead. So in verse 1 here, we see that the, the author sets the, sets the stage. He says, um, six days before the Passover, before Jesus' death, Jesus comes to Bethany, where Lazarus was, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. <clears throat> that didn't work at all. I don't know why I covered the mic. It still went out. So, um, so Jesus has just done something completely amazing. He's raised somebody from the dead. Uh, it's funny. We were actually, Missy and I were actually reading this passage to the girls last night, not because I'm preaching on it this morning, but that's where they are in their Bible. And we read the Bible to them every night before they go to bed. Um, and uh, we, we read it to them. And I always wondered, like Lazarus is in the tomb for three days or four days or something like that. Um, and then Jesus comes and raises him from the dead. Like, do you think that was a rude awakening for Lazarus? He was like in paradise. And he's like, oh, I'm back here. I just always wondered that. Like the girls were kind of like, huh, you know. 
He's alive. He's back. But Jesus has shown something significant. He's shown that he has power over death. Okay? And so this is the scene. So they give a dinner for him there. Martha, Lazarus' sister, is serving. Lazarus is there with Jesus, hanging out with them. Mary is there also, and Mary is Lazarus' sister. Okay? Um, and Mary comes, and she takes a, almost a pound, generally a pound, of this expensive ointment, this perfume. This, they, they call it this pure nard. It comes from the nard plant. Um, it's this really expensive ointment. And we see later that Judas says it was worth a year's wages, a full year's wages. So think of your salary. That's how much this, this isn't like CK1. Like this is like expensive ointment stuff. And so she has this. And she takes it, and Matthew has the same account in the Gospel of Matthew, and he describes it as being in an alabaster jar. And in those jars, it's not just the ointment is expensive, the jar itself is expensive. And it's a one-time-use jar. So when you open it, you actually have to break the neck of the jar. And when you break the neck, it's like breaking the seal on something. It's, that's it. You have to use it. It's, it's done. And so by breaking the jar, like... It's not like she just sprayed a little bit of, of stuff on his feet. Like she broke the whole thing and poured it out for him. And so she does that. And she does it on his feet. She does it on Jesus' feet. Now, if you think about uh, feet, like we don't have to go back and analyze like cultural history in, 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 the, in the New Testament. Like think about feet today. Nobody likes to touch anyone's feet. Like, feet are like the bottom, um, you know, there's, they're what we used to walk on, they're dirty, they're smelly, um, I'm not talking about Missy's feet, they're just, <laughs> like, they're, they're just, nobody likes them, right? Um, same thing here, this was even, this was even worse because all they have is sandals and they're dusty, they're dirty, and um, Mary pours the oil not on his head where you would typically anoint somebody. You would typically anoint somebody on their head, which is like the crown of your body, right? She goes to his feet, and she pours this year's worth of salary onto his smelly, dirty, stinky feet. And what's more, she doesn't get a rag and and wipe it. She puts down her hair, and she begins rubbing uh, the oil, the ointment around with her hair. I, can you imagine somebody doing that today? And what kind of statement that would make? And that's the kind of statement it made back then. Probably even, even more of a statement back then. And it says the house was filled with the fragrance of this perfume, of this ointment. You know, we um, we had a leadership retreat a couple of months ago, and Matthew Lilly, who's not here this morning, I don't think, uh, and Adam thought it would be a great idea if <clears throat> we washed each other's feet. Because um, Jesus does that actually a chapter later, just a few days later, he does that for his disciples. The master, the teacher, he gets down um, and he washes his disciples' feet. And... 
uh, these guys thought, man, for the leadership retreat, it'd be great if we did that for each other. So we just went down the line, and the person on the on your left washed your feet, and then you washed the person's feet going around. And, um, well, how many of you guys would feel that that was awkward? You don't have to raise your hand. I know you do. I know you would. <laughs> um, it was pretty awkward. And you know what, what was awkward about it? What was awkward about it wasn't actually washing the person's feet. It was actually getting your feet washed. It was actually receiving that type of love. Now, Jesus just, he receives it. You know, he's, he's around with a whole bunch of people around the table. Um, he's at somebody else's house. And, and Mary comes in and just washes his feet with this expensive ointment, with her hair, in front of everybody. And he accepts it. And he receives it. And he does it in humility. You know, it takes... We, we found, and we discussed this afterwards, it takes more humility to receive that, someone washing your feet, than it does to like get down and wash someone else's feet. Okay? There's almost this, sometimes there's almost this false modesty we have. Like, oh, I could wash someone else's feet, but um, no, 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 don't, don't wash my feet. Think, think about this. Think, think about uh, if you're like this or not. How hard is it for you to ask for help? Do you have problems asking other people for help? Do you have problems receiving money from people? I have no problems receiving money from people. <laughs> At all. <laughs> I used to. I used to. When, I, when my idol was success. I'm like, I'm not going to take your money. Um, but now that I fundraise to live here... <laughs> That's what we have to do. <laughs> we have to take people's money. Um, so uh, do you have issues with that? That's, that's a false modesty. That's pride. That's not true humility by saying, oh, no, no, no. That's, that's a false modesty. And so it's almost easier for us to wash, or it is easier for us to wash someone else's feet rather than to receive it. Receiving it, I find, is almost true humility. Because you're humbling yourself in order to, to get that love from somebody else. And so Jesus does this, and he sets this example for us. He receives this type of love. Mary is giving, she's, she's giving this love here. And this whole passage can be misconstrued as eros love. Like it could feel very erotic, right? Like she's letting down her hair, she's wiping his feet, um, but in actuality, this is completely and fully agape love, this selfless love that she's showing to Jesus at this point. Because actually what she's done in breaking that jar, and remember how much it's worth. Judas says it's worth 300 denarii, which is a year's wages. She's giving up her dowry. That's exactly what she's just done. Okay, in those days you would have a dowry actually in... Sometimes these days you have a dowry in some cultures. Um, and uh, that would get you a husband. So in essence, she's given up her dowry and she's fully devoted herself to Jesus. Do you guys get the significance of that? 
she's given up what would get her a husband, what would get her uh, in in that culture, would get her children and happiness and uh, what uh, you know social status, all these things. She's given up all of that for Jesus. And Jesus is going to die in less than a week. She's given it all up. She says, I'm fully devoted myself to you, to who you are. And here you go. Now, some of you guys, <clears throat> I talked about this a little bit last week about um, embracing singleness. You know, we had the list of questions up there um, from York, those York University students, and I kind of rolled through them. And... Um, You know, in embracing, let's just talk about singleness for a second, uh, because that was one of the questions, embracing singleness. Like, how do I embrace my singleness? And I'd said, I'd said how I answered that question was, um, you don't. You don't embrace your singleness. Uh, and that seems, that seems weird to us because, um, it's like a lot of times in the church we're telling people, embrace your singleness, embrace this, embrace that, but embrace your singleness, like this season of your life. But I think it becomes dangerous when we embrace a relationship status, okay? Because that's not who we are. Because a lot of times when we're embracing our singleness, we're embracing our individuality or we're embracing our strength as a person or we're embracing our... Um, independence. But if you look at Mary, she doesn't embrace any of those things. She embraces Jesus. She embraces who she is in Christ. And that's completely different from embracing your singleness. Because when you embrace Jesus, you can embrace where you are in life. Okay? We get those mixed up. We can lose Jesus if we were focused on embracing our singleness, our, our marriage, our uh, whatever situation we're in. Um, but if we embrace Jesus first, then embracing whatever else, your relationship status, whatever else, will come easily after that. Okay, so we don't want to get those mixed up. So not just singles, but a lot of you guys, when you got married, those of you guys who are married couples, You got married, and you thought it was going to be this great thing. You know, you heard about marriage, and you thought, this is going to be great. And then you got married, and you're like, this isn't actually what they told me it was going to be like. This is actually way more difficult. I didn't know she did those things. I didn't know he was such a slob. I didn't know, like, it was so hard to be in a committed, fully committed relationship with somebody like this. Those of you singles, you look at married couples, you're like, oh, that's, some of you guys are like, oh, look, they, they have it all together. No, they don't. They don't. I talked to so many young married, young married couples that had no idea what they were getting into. Um, and now they're trying to figure it out. Now they're trying to say, okay, what, how, do we, how, do we, how do we run through this? How do we work through this? And so <clears throat> a few married couples, it's not about embracing marriage. It's about embracing Jesus. It's about fully devoting yourself to Jesus. A lot of times in marriage, too, you, your mentality is, man, if she would just work on this, if I would just work on this, if she does this, then I won't act like that. And if, if he does that, then I won't be like this. 
But what we really need to do is start working on yourself. And if you focus on who you are and uh, start letting Jesus and the Spirit work on you, that's going to change you, which is going to change your marriage. Okay? So stop focusing on the other person so much and start embracing Jesus um, for yourself in your life. And you'll see that transform your marriage. You'll see that transform your singleness. You'll see that transform your dating life. And Mary has accepted the love of Christ, which means she knows how to give it out. She's received it, and she can give it. But Judas hasn't. Judas hasn't received it at all. In verse 4, it says that, he says, why wasn't this one man sold sold to the poor for 300 denarii? And then John says, well, he said this because he didn't, it's not that he cared about the poor. He was actually a thief. He was the treasurer, and he would steal money out of the money bag to help himself to what was put into it. What's ironic about this is that less than a week later, Judas sells Jesus to be killed for less than half of that amount. For 120 denarii, he sells Jesus. He's just complaining about 300. And then a couple days later, he goes and sells Jesus for 120. And he doesn't even keep it at the end. (laughs) He gives it back. Um, Judas has been with Jesus for three years, and he hasn't accepted Christ's love. He hasn't received it. Judas has been in this selfish relationship with Jesus where he's just take, take, take. John describes Jesus in a few different ways. He says Jesus is a devil at one point in the gospel. He says Jesus is son of destruction at one point in the, in the gospel. Here he says Judas is a selfish thief. Um, and then he calls G- uh, Judas a hypocrite somewhere else in the gospel. Um, so John kind of paints this picture of Judas as very selfish. And he's just in this relationship to, to take from Jesus. And when he doesn't need Jesus anymore, when Jesus doesn't give him what he wants anymore, he just goes and sells him for 120 denarii. Are you guys in any relationships like that? Are you a person in a relationship like that? More just take, 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 and then when that relationship doesn't give anymore, you just discard it. Or has that happened to you? What Judas couldn't do, what he needed to do, was receive love. And he never did that. Which is why he ends up giving the money back at the end, and then he ends up killing himself. Because he never understood how to do this. And he never did it. Um, 1 Corinthians 13 says this about, about love. It says, it says, love is patient, kind, it does not envy or boast, it is not arrogant or rude, it does not insist on its own way, it's not irritable or resentful, it does not rejoice at wrongdoing, it rejoices with the truth. And a lot of times in our culture we hear that love is blind. Our culture says love is blind, it overlooks faults, it overlooks um, uh, you know, shortcomings. But the Bible actually doesn't talk about love that way. The Bible doesn't say that love is blind. 
The Bible says that actually love sees everything. Love has 20-20 vision. So love actually sees all the good and all the bad. And then we see here in verse 7, because of that, love bears all things. Love believes all things. Love hopes all things. Love endures all things. And love never ends. And so agape love, the love that God gives us, love that Jesus displays for us, isn't blind love. It's actually the opposite. Jesus sees us so clearly. Um, when I was, I don't know, I was between 10 and 12. Uh, this was after my family started going to church. So it was after I was 10. Um, we were walking out of church one day, out of the church, church building, and it was a church plant, so it was much like this. We were in a rented facility, things like that. Um, we were walking out, and my dad saw a hummingbird on the ground. And the hummingbird's wing was, was, I don't know if it was broken, but there's something wrong with it. Like, it needed to be mended. But it couldn't fly. If you've ever seen a hummingbird, you've probably never seen a hummingbird not flapping its wings, right? So it was like a shock, because... They flap their wings the fastest of any bird, and it's, it's crazy how fast they flap them. Um, so it's like a shock when we see one just laying on the ground. So we took it home. Um, we took it home. We, like, my dad, like, um, wrapped up its wing, uh, its, its broken wing, and um, it wouldn't eat at first because it didn't know what to do. Like, hummingbirds, I've never seen a hummingbird stop. And so the hummingbird was physically debilitated like he couldn't do anything and it was scared like you could tell it was it was so scared of us because we we're like trying to help it but the hummingbird doesn't know that we named him hummy out of all things very original hummy we named our bunny growing up hoppy <laughs> i don't know we couldn't think of good names so <clears throat> hummy uh is like really scared and then we researched everything in those days, we had to use encyclopedias. We didn't have the internet. So we're like, what do hummingbirds eat? Um, encyclopedias are like books. <laughs> so we, we were like looking. Um, and, uh, and so we made sugar water for it, kind of like to imitate what, like the nectar of a flower. So it starts eating. And after a week, he starts getting better. And we start taking the bandage off. And he's not fully flapping his wings. He's just hanging around. And eventually, um, one day, and we'd put him in the, in the backyard as he started to get better. Um, and one day, he just got up and he flew away. And actually, every spring and summer, um, as long as we lived there, uh, he would come back every spring and summer and come and see us. Um, at least that's what my dad told me. <laughs> They're like, that's him. That's him, guys. So don't, like, ruin it for me. I think that's my memory in my mind. That he would come back and see us. And so, but the thing is, he was very hesitant to receive our care and our love at first because he was scared. He didn't know how to do it. Um, he was always moving. He didn't know how to let someone else take care of him. And he was broken. Like, his wing was totally messed up. Some of you guys need to learn how to receive love. 
And that's not learning how to receive love when you get better. It's learning how to receive love in your brokenness. And some of you guys feel like you can never be loved. Some of you guys feel like no one could ever love you the way you are. And that's not true. One, because Jesus has loved you greater and and more wonderful than anybody else could ever love you. And two, if we received Christ's love, we can love you the same way. And so, Jesus, in the last few verses, we see that he tells Judas to leave her alone, that she may keep it for the day of my burial. And he says that you'll always have the poor with you, but you won't always have me with you. And he's alluding to his death, that in just a few days, he's going to be gone. He's going to be dead, and they won't have him any longer. But the good news is, what Jesus has also told them in other passages, is that he's going to come back, and he's going to be raised from the dead three days later. The reality is, without accepting the love of Christ, you'll never fully understand how to love. You'll be able to have storge love. You'll be able to have eros love. You'll be able to have philia love. But it's always going to feel empty. You're always going to feel wanting. It's never going to satisfy. You're always going to feel like you need to find love in another place. And it's only in Jesus that we see agape love demonstrated. This is the love he demonstrated on the cross. Jesus goes to the cross and he gives himself up for you without anything in in return. Before you're even here. This was a couple thousand years ago and Jesus does this for you with no wrongdoing in his life. Perfection, sinless, And he shows the most pure, the epitome of agape love on the cross. And then John picks up on this later and he says, it's only because God first loved us through Jesus in this way that we only know how to even begin to love. But first you have to receive that love. And I actually don't know how to tell you to do that except to say, just ask God for it. Just ask God for that love, to know what it's like. Because once you experience it, then you can begin to give it. And you'll never be able to give a true selfless love to your children, for instance, unless you've experienced that from your Father in heaven. You'll never be able to truly do that to your spouse unless you've received it from the groom, Jesus Christ. You'll never fully be able to do that in any of your relationships, just in the church, unless you've fully experienced that from Jesus Christ. 
And it's such a tremendous gift that God gives us. So on Valentine's Day today, don't seek Eros love from a random person or your significant other. Don't seek filial love from, you know, your friends. Don't even seek, like, basic familial storge love. Seek this agape love from Jesus today. Because going back to the historical significance of Valentine's Day, the Christian martyr St. Valentine gave himself up for this gospel. And so today, seek that love and just ask God for it. That's the simplest way to get it.